We are in the second book of the Psalms, the second book of the Psalms. So um, it's important to understand the flow of the Psalms. So you'll, you'll notice if, if, uh, if you're turning to the Psalms, if you open your Bible, it's roughly right in the middle. And we're in Psalm 46. The large numbers are the chapter numbers in the Bible that denote the Psalms. So just a little bit of background, just to kind of bring us up to speed on where we are in the Psalms. And, and this is important. It doesn't quite get at the, at, at the meat of where we are today, but it really does help set the table and help us understand um, the, the Psalms. Um, in Psalm 1 through 41, you have the king in his struggles. So the king in his struggles. The Psalm 1 through 41, Psalms 1 and 2, they set out the Psalms. And they say these are what the Psalms are about. So Psalm 1 is, blessed is the man. It's about Jesus, that he's the only one that lives up to God's righteous standard. Psalm 2 is about God's grace. And how, how do we get God's grace? We get God's grace by submitting to the king, King Jesus, by coming under his rule and reign. He inaugurated his rule and reign at his baptism. And he began this rule and reign at, at, the, at the cross and at the tomb. And he is continuing to reign. And, and so the Psalms are about this reigning king. I think it's really important as we go through the Psalms for us to think about, and we don't have a whole lot of time to spend here, but I do think it's important for you to think about what do you think Jesus is doing right now? What is Jesus doing? right now. You know, when, when the Bible says that he ascended, and you have the ascension, that is, that is perhaps, you know, we talk about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, but oftentimes don't talk about the fact that he has ascended. Where has he ascended? Into the throne room. He is at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. What is he doing? Relaxing? Like, oh, is his work done? The Bible says that he's interceding. That's true, that he intercedes for us to the Father. What is he doing there? Jesus is on the throne. He is the king. He is ruling and reigning. That's what he's doing. That's what he's doing present right now. Do you see Jesus as that ascended king who is ruling and reigning right now? The Psalms are about that ascended king. It's about the whole story of the ascended king. And so you see in Psalm 1 through 41 is, uh, is about this ascended king and his rule and his, his reign. In, in Psalm 141, we see that the, there's a struggle. And what is the struggle? The struggle is a struggle with sin. And, and then we see Psalm 42, 42 through 72. And in this, we, we see the king in his kingdom. The king in his kingdom. And so we see this ruling king in his kingdom. It's, it's, very, it's very, very helpful to see Jesus ruling and reigning. And so if I can outline this, you can outline the, the uh, book two in a couple of different ways. But in, in Psalms 42 through 44, we see this commitment. In fact, commitment is a theme over and over and over again. That we have a king who is committed um, he's committed in trials in Psalm 42 through 44. And then Psalm 45 through 49, it, commitment in praise of God and his kingdom. And then we see in, in Psalm 50 through 53, commitment in the face 
of sin. Commitment even in the face of sin. 54 through 64, commitment despite enemies. Commitment despite enemies. And in Psalm 65 through 69, commitment in worship. In Psalm 70 and 72, commitment to God, our deliverer. And so it's one of the ways to look at these psalms. We're in Psalm 46, which actually divides this book of psalms right in the, down the middle. Um, psalm 42 through 44, and then on the end, Psalm 69 through 72, talk about the longing of the king for God's blessing. The longing of the king for God's blessing. So Psalm 45 through, through um, 48 and then Psalm 65 through 68 talk about the success of the king. Success of the king in this world. This book is very earthy. Um, it's very earthy. It's very world-centered. We need to think about that when we think about heaven, right? We think about the ascended king and you think about heaven. And if you're in Christ, we talk about going to heaven, right? Going to heaven. Um, but when we read the whole Bible... Right? We understand that heaven is going to us. It's coming to us. So yes, there will be a time in which those that are dead in Christ go to heaven, but that is a temporary place. That's only temporary that we live in heaven. Where, where, do, we, where do we live forever? Well, the, we live forever in the rule and reign, the perfect rule and reign of Jesus Christ, our Savior, here on earth, here on earth. Um, we're, we're, we're interjecting a series in Philippians and um, the, the city of Philippi was established by Caesar. And he did that by sending soldiers, most of them who were retired soldiers. So these were men of battle and they established this city. Um, they didn't establish this city as under the rule of Caesar, establish it to go back to Rome. That's not how those. That's not not how you how that works. What they did is they established this to bring what the the rule of Rome to this new city. So that's what's happening when we look at this text, right? So it's important that we are heavenly minded, right? That's that's important that we are heavenly minded when we use that expression. Um, we, we talk about being heavenly minded as, as um, you hear that, the phrase and it's wrong, you know, they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. Actually, it's the opposite. If we read our Bibles right, there's a lot of people who are so earthly minded, they're no, of no earthly good, right? Actually, when you're heavenly minded, you are of earthly good because why? Because you are bringing what? Heaven to earth, heaven to earth. And we'll see that in this particular psalm. In fact, um, before we even read it, look at verse 2 in Psalm 46. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. It's very earth-centered. Uh, verse 6, the nations rage and the kings totter, and he utters his ver voice and the earth melts. Verse 8, come and behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. Verse 9, he makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. Verse 10, be still and know that I am God and I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. This is a psalm about the kingdom, the rule and reign of Jesus coming to earth. So yes, um, we will go to heaven, but then we will come to earth if we 
die before Jesus comes back. And so the focus of the Psalms, the focus of all the scriptures, is the rule and reign of Jesus on the earth. And when is that? It is now. It is now. It is not in its fullness. It will be in its fullness. But what's happening is this rule and reign of Jesus is gradually growing and becoming more and more and more known. It is not yet and will be fulfilled in its completeness in the reign of Jesus when he returns. So here we see this particular psalm. In fact, um, these, this book, um, it, it, um, it contains... 18 psalms, I think there's 31 psalms, 18 of them are, king, are, are written by King David, right? It's actually less than the majority of psalms from Psalm 1 through 41 are actually written by David. That number goes down um, here in, in this particular book, yet the theme of the kingdom rises. It comes up. Um, it's, it, it proliferates through this second book. And, and I think it's there to show us that the reign of, of Jesus is, is connected to the promise of the, of the Davidic kingdom. It's connected, but it, it spans everything. It, it's, it fills the whole earth. It fills the whole earth. It's not reserved to simply the kingdom of David, but rather this is the cosmic ruling and reigning king. Well, let's get into the text and then we will look at it together. Psalm 46, I'll read it for you. Follow along in your scriptures. To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Almoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, a holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. He, she shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations rage and kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord how he has brought down the desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. This uh, particular psalm is a hymn. It's a hymn. It's a hymn poetry. Um, there's, when we sing hymns, there's verse, chorus, verse, chorus. Sometimes you'll begin on the chorus, and that's how this one begins. Look at verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And then verses 7 and 11, the chorus repeats a little bit differently. Um, the Lord of hosts is with us. The, the God of Jacob is our fortress. The Lord of hosts is with us, verse 11. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And so we'll see that there's three sections uh, in a moment. We'll see that to this particular psalm with these, this chorus in between. But the psalm actually begins in that superscript 
right there next to that large 46 where it says to the choir master the sons of Korah according to Almoth a song well who are the sons of Korah who are the sons of Korah it's an interesting thing how did when you when you understand a little of the history you're like how did how did Korah make it into the Psalms right so if you if we had time we'd go back to um, we'd go back to the scriptures to numbers chapter 16 well, you see that there was an individual named Korah. Actually, there's, there's three individuals there. And, um, and Korah had a dispute with Aaron. Aaron was in charge of the temple, and, or the tabernacle, and, and, and tabernacle worship. The issue was a fight over incense and who gets to burn the incense. And there was Korah in this fight led this rebellion. And um, number 16 uses, um, uses war language. And war language in scripture is really interesting. It's, you know, if you watched football games yesterday, you might have had a team and you said, you know what, that one team totally annihilated the other team. Now, what are you meaning? Like, were there like dead men in helmets laying on the field after? Like, is, is that kind of the, the language? No, it's, it's war language. It means it, like... They beat them by such a, a fantastic score that it hardly even was a game. So what happens in this rebellion is that literally um, they rebel against Moses in this dispute over responsibilities um, in essentially in church and in, in the tabernacle. And what happens is God judges them instantly and the earth um, opens up and it says the war language is they all died. Um, that's the language. They were, they were totally wiped out. Um, so it's, it's unique literature. It's unique language. You have to understand that because here we have what? The sons of Korah. Well, obviously they didn't all get wiped out because there are sons. Um, this particular clan, they became singers in God's temple. Um, it's an interesting thing. And... and a writer of quite a few of the Psalms. And so we have here, and it notes that these are the sons of this man who was destroyed. It's an interesting thing. I don't know what kinds of conclusions that you draw from, from that, but they are um, the, the, oftentimes the authors of this particular Psalm. And we look in, in the record and we, of, of Scripture and we, we have to go back to Psalm 1. We have to go back to Psalm 1. Blessed is the man. Right? So we have a, a record of God's working in history. And we say, well, who is the one who is worthy? Who's the one who's worthy to open the scroll? Who's the one worthy to go into the mountain of God? Who's the one who's worthy to go into the dwelling place of God? There's only one. There's only one. And that is Jesus Christ. And so while there's a great deal of speculation around certain things in Scripture, and certainly this is speculative, I think that God has preserved um, his history in this way to remind us of what the king is going to do. We, we could go to Luke 21. Actually, go ahead and turn over to Luke 21 because we find this in the New Testament. Luke 21, verse 20. So Korah is a descendant of Jacob or Esau. Esau. 
So if you know the biblical history, right, Esau has some pretty bad things that are on him. Um, East, you know, the, the record of Esau is, is not good. Um, in fact, we see the descendants of Esau continually plaguing the, um, the nation of Israel all through Scripture. But yet it is the descendants of Esau who are also the singers in the temple. Jesus, when he, well, let me read, let me read this before I tell you that. Psalm, or, um, Luke 21, verse 20, it says, But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee into the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart. Let not those who are out in the country enter it, for these are the days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress on the earth and wrath against his people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be left captive among nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and foreboding of what is coming on the world for the power of heaven will be shaken and they will soon see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. So here in this passage is an allusion to Psalm 46. Psalm 46 about the coming king. Jesus, when he comes in to Jerusalem, when he rides in on a donkey, what does he have to pass over geographically in order to come into Jerusalem? He passes over in victory the mountain of Esau coming king right the coming king is you, you begin to look at these things and you say um the, the bible is not a mystery rather the bible is rather is very very clear you know what is jesus going to conquer as he rides into jerusalem and he's going to conquer all sin as the reigning king right even though you have within his line individuals like rahab and outsiders it's all filled with those kinds of... Jesus is the one that, what? As the cosmic reigning king brings all people together. All those who will do what? Submit to the Son. And so what we see is we see right off in this, just this is a psalm of Korah. And we see that this, this psalm of Korah is, is sung, sung by the sons of Korah. Um, and a psalm of Korah. It's a psalm of the sons of Korah. And it is, it is these individuals, descendants of Esau, descendants of a man who was judged by God and the earth was swallowed up. What are they doing? They are writing praises to the king, right? Who are we today as we stand here as, as, as Gentiles, outsiders? We are the sons and daughters of Korah. And what are we doing today? We are giving praise to the ruling cosmic king. And what do we need to do? Well, it's outlined in this, this passage. What we're going to see here is that God is a refuge and a strength. That he's a refuge and strength. And what this psalm, um, it, it broken down, it's three stanzas. 
say that God is a refuge in strength in natural disaster. He's a refuge. He's a refuge in strength from political oppression. He's a refuge in strength from violence. 95 times in all the Bible um, we, uh, is the word refuge used. It is used 50 times in, in the Psalms, 50 times by David in the Psalms, and even more. So I don't know the number exactly in the Psalms, but David the king um, uses this as refuge 50 times. So verse 1 is the, is the chorus. God is a refuge in strength, a very present help in trouble. In other words, that very present help in trouble means that he's accessible, right? You can go to God today. He is not far off. He is not silent, but rather he is near. He's accessible. He is our refuge. He says, therefore, we will not fear. And so since God is a refuge and a strength, right, you can go to him, and that's where you begin to power up. You begin to gain strength, right, and so that you do not have to fear. Why? Because there are times when mountains will be moved into the heart of the sea and waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there are times that we live and we cannot explain them except for they come by the hand of God, that disaster befalls mankind. We see it all around us. And what God is telling us here in this psalm is, you know, even though these things may happen, and you put that in the context of Luke, Luke 21, you can trust the king who's sovereign over all nature, nature, that he is trustworthy. Oh, how difficult that is in the midst of what we call disaster, right? Is that, is that what we cry out when disaster befalls us, right? When, when um, your insurance company is, is writing off that tree limb, that you know, tree that has fallen across your you know, property or whatever and caused damage. They call it an act of God. But we ask, God, how could, you know, where are you? How could this happen? Were you sleeping? No, actually, that's a really good phrase, right? We don't, we don't believe in mother nature. And we believe that there's a God over all creation, and even when what we see as disaster, here God says he is sovereign over those, those things. So what are we to do? We're to lament them and run to Jesus as a refuge in strength. So we see that God is our refuge from natural disaster. Now that doesn't mean that, that we are, are not generous. We are generous. We help one another out. We, <clears throat> but there's, there is this but we're going to see this when natural disaster strikes. There's a tendency that we have um, in our hearts in multiple ways to rebel against God. But what's God calling us to do? Find refuge in him. Secondly, we see that he is a refuge from political oppression. Notice verse 4. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, a holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her and he shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage and kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. <clears throat> that last phrase 
is key to what's happening in verses 4 and 5. The nations raging. We saw this in Psalm 2. The nations raging. But here we see them raging and tottering. Raging and he speaks. And what do they do? They melt. The earth melts. Those kingdoms melt. But he says here, speaking about refuse, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Now this is, you think, well, it's talking about Jerusalem. The psalmist here is using this imagery where it's combining Eden and Jerusalem because there is no river through uh, the, the city of God. There is a river, speaking of Eden, but bringing together the city of God. It says there is a river whose streams, and, and this, is, this is, it says, makes or make glad the city of God. Um, that make is a cause. So here we see when kingdoms, when nations rage, that it is God that does what to those that are trusting in him? Makes glad. Makes, it's causal. That's the language. It's causal. Even in these, the difficult times, God causes gladness, the holy habitation of the Most High. And it's using, notice how it refers to God. It's El Elyon, the God Most High, the highest of all other powers. And what is God? God is not moved. But rather, what, what are we to do? Wait. When all is dark, that's the next phrase. When all is dark, what do you do? You wait till the dawning. It doesn't mean that God is not reigning when the nations rage. What we're called to do is wait to be glad in who he is. Seems like such an irony. But we're not to be downcast. But we're, we're rather to rejoice in the fact that he is reigning as we wait for the dawning. Finally, um, after the chorus, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. We see that God is a refuge from violence. Come, behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. Be exalted among the nations. I will exalt the earth. And then the chorus again. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. It begins with a command. Come, a beckoning. Behold the works of the Lord. Over and over again, Israel recounts their rescue from Egypt. And in those miracles, in those multifaceted miracles, God demonstrated his power over the gods of the Egyptians. He was powerful over nature. Those gods, what, those gods were there because um, people felt like, you know, if we appease the gods, if we somehow by manipulation can do this, then the god of fertility will, will, will cause our crops to grow and for us to have children and all of these kinds of things. And so it was this game of manipulation and striving. And God said, no, that's not how you get there. How you get there is you, you yield to me. 
Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars to cease and the ends of war. He is the one, even in the midst of great violence, he's the one that is absolutely in control. And so in verse 10, we see this verse that says, be still and know that I am God. When you're in the midst of great violence, what is the response, right? What's in the response? And this is, this is in no way a verse that calls us to pacifism in, in that sense, but it does, it does address our motives. It does address an interior life. It says, when there is great violence, understand this, that God is still God. And so what does it say? What, what are you trusting in? It says, be still and know that I am God. This verse, you know, is put on coffee mugs and plaques and all of those kinds of things. And it's really made out to be something other than what it means in its context, right? It's just sort of this like um, new age, meditative, be still and know that I am God. Like, you know, just have this peace enter you. And, you know, there, there is actually some truth to that, but not in that way. Because the, the, the language here um, means this, stop striving, stop fighting. That's the language. In fact, you know, just put that on a coffee mug. Stop fighting. That would probably be a better translation. Stop striving. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. We forget those phrases. God will be exalted. Jesus, the king, will be exalted. So the, the issue that, that we have here is, is like, well, how do we do this? You know, we, we see three things in this particular passage here that that's, it says in verse 2, do not be afraid, do not fear. In verse 7, or sorry, verse 8, come and behold the works of God. And then in verse 10, be still and know that I am God. So we, we see some things that we can do in this passage. Stop striving and know that I'm God. Look at the works of God. Do not be afraid. How do we do those particular things in this passage? What, what, what is happening um, in this passage. What Jesus is saying is he's saying, submit yourself to me. Trust in me as the king. Trust in me as the king. Stop trying to do it your own way. Right? When, natu when natural disaster befalls us, we feel like a victim. When political powers rule, we feel like we're too insignificant. When armies rage war, we feel like we can't really do much about that. So what do we do? Inter what happens internally is we, we have all of this anxiety. We've got to do something with it. And so what we do is we spend our days striving. Maybe you're in the middle of one of those situations. And what, what are we drawn to? Inter we're, we're drawn to make it happen, to strive. You ask yourself, is that what Jesus did? In John chapter 5, Jesus says this. 
Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. The father loves the son and shows all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, also the son gives life to whom he will. What is Jesus saying in John 5? I don't do anything of my own accord. Right, the, the struggle that I had this week in, in this passage is, is when I was reading that verse, be still and know that I am God. It's like, how do you, how do you become an, uh, an elite in your, in your area of expertise? How do you become an Olympic athlete? Like when your whole life is, you know, have goals and strive and do and honor this, be still and know that I am God. Are they? Is it, is it impossible? Can Christians excel and exceed? And can they strive for things? I think the answer is yes. And that's why I came to the conclusion, based on God's word, that this isn't an external thing. This has everything to do with your relationship with God. It has everything to do with your relationship with God. And it's where we need to really look and evaluate and be careful. That's why we're going to have the next few moments where you're going to take out your phone and go to northbridge.me or the church app. And you really need to take some time and say, am I striving in my own strength? Or am I like Jesus who said, I can do nothing except by the will of the Father? See, I think that's key in this passage. That's key in this passage. Because if you are striving, then you are worshiping something other than Jesus. If you're striving, if you're not willing to say, I could set everything aside and just have Jesus. If you're not willing to say, you know, it really doesn't matter. What matters most is Jesus. Then you're not being still. And knowing that God is God. And know this, that he will be exalted. He will smash those idols. And so today is the day of reckoning. Today is the day that we need to come before Jesus. Maybe you're here and you don't know Jesus as Savior. Submit to him. Ask for forgiveness of sins. He will forgive those sins. If you're here as a Christian, we need to walk in that way. And see, there is a, there is a daily effort by God's grace to say over and over and over again in the Christian life, not by my will, but by yours. At the very end, at the very end of the Old Testament, God speaks to his children in Malachi chapter 1 and verse 11. It says, from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. In every place, Incense will be offered to my name, a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord's of hosts. And then verse 12, but, so here's contrast to his people, but you profane it when you say the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food may be despised. But you say, what weariness is this? And you snort at it 
Such vivid language, huh? And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick. This you bring as your offering. Shall I accept it from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be those who cheat by taking, uh, when he has a male in his flock and he vows it, yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. I think that passage is so relevant to us. When we say, be still and know that I am God, we have to ask, then are you giving God your best? Right? Are you saying like, oh, man, it's a two-day weekend. I don't know why I have to go to church on Sunday. I mean, you're all here, so you're exempt, right? It's a two-day weekend, you know, and I really need to get those things done. And, man, i got to start the work week, and i got these things piled up. And you do what? You snort at the worship of God, and you brush it off. Right? What he's saying is, is there anything that's, is there anything that's coming between you and Jesus? Is there anything that you're holding on tighter to this than, than to the good news of Jesus? Or do you want the gospel above all things? See, that's, that's what he's getting at when he says, be still and know that I am God. How do you do that? Will you behold the works of the Lord? Where do you do that? In the word of God. And so you go to the word of God over and over and over again. And we repent, we repent, we repent every single day. Lord, I'm holding this higher than you. Right? You say, Lord, take that away from me. If that's, that's your will. If I can't do it by my own strength, then, then Lord, just take that away from me. What I want is I want you to be exalted above everything. That is most important. See, that is when God becomes your refuge. That is when you are strengthened. Idols will do nothing but drain you and leave you less than human. Idols are the harlot. Idols are destruction. Only with God is there life and life eternal. And that comes by submitting to the Son, who is Lord and Savior, King Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for reminding us once again of your sovereignty and your kingship. We can say with those that have gone before us, a mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amidst the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe does seek to work us well. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not as equal. But we know this, that your word is above all earthly powers, and that we are called to abide. 
Let goods and kingdoms, kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, but God's truth abides still. Your kingdom is forever. So search us, know us, and may we submit to you and you alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.